Denzel. My fellow Americans, on this day, July 4th, 1776, we are all finally free! Slaves. Oh, um, I said, what about your slaves? Well, see, and what about women? Will we be granted equality in your America? Yes, but sure, right after the Indians. Wait a second, I was under the impression we were getting our land back. Good point. Um, oh, hey, can I keep this here machine gun? You know, like if a Mexican tries to take my property or something. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? You just took this land from the Indians. He was coming for you. I he just shot him in the back. He was making a move, man, I swear. We're gonna have a fair and unbiased judicial process, right? Everyone, just calm down! Fuck you! No, fuck you! Hey, I just want to marry my boyfriend! Sinner! They're gonna be comrades of healthcare, right? Seriously, dude, what about your slaves? Oh, my God. We're gonna fuck this up, aren't we? One and all, welcome back to the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. I'm your host, comic Nick Munez. Today we're discussing Krista Rose's Founding Rivals, a story of the first and last time two future presidents contested a single congressional seat. James Madison, James Monroe, presidents number four and five, not discussing number 45 today. Last week was an ultramarathon, this week is a congressional race, a little bit lower on the adrenaline side. What was at stake here was only the Bill of Rights and the future of America. April 40th, 1789, masses of reporters and D.C. civilians were hanging outside a federal hall. George Washington was about to address the streets. He held 169 votes from Congress, nice, and the first inaugural address, which included the Constitution, a signed copy, the first time ever. The Constitution that you can go and see in the National Mall is a fifth-generation Marvel remake with all the addendums to the amendment. And isn't it a funny thing we call our National Museum the Mall? Very American. You know they make those superheroes trans now so that they could stiff previous actors out of residuals? Captain America's no-cap America now? trans batman <laughs> that's like our second amendment it's with all these fruity attachments banning bump stocks legalize gay bombs this is a constitutional battle today madison predicted the civil war saying without enough central power the union is going to dissolve and monroe predicted shays rebellion the railroad strikes the ludlow massacre out here in colorado UPS strikes, the Patriot Act, and a whole lot more by saying without a Bill of Rights, individual liberties will be trampled. Today, whether you are a D or an R or an LGBTQ, either way, your individual rights are evaporating. Political parties flip, so don't try to like label, oh, the Federalists are the and the Anti-Federalists are the R's. If you're gonna go over history, the best comb you could use is auth versus lib. The opposite of constitution is prostitution. I would say these globalists, they're whoring out Lady Liberty. I mean, what are we even standing for? Does it feel like you live in America? I said Madison predicted the Civil War. 
Look around. This thing is being held together by band-aids. Portland is refusing to trade with Texas. Without enough central power, the union will dissolve. We have the most central powerful union in the history of empires, and it's still dissolving. <laughs> Been learning recently, culture is much more important than whatever mandate is made at the top. And these ten God-given rights, I mean, Monroe is going to be remembered longer in history than Moses. Moses gave us those ten guidelines sketched into rocks. Alright buddy, I think I could have figured out myself not to bang my neighbor's wife. Monroe wrote down ten rights no government can ever take from you. I mean, in the grand span of history, what do you think matters more? Monroe was doing everything he could to push these ten rights through. And there was a Federalist majority at the time kind of sounds like today. I mean, not trying to put labels on it, but I'm out here in the Wild West, the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. I'm 150 years too late. I'm around a bunch of airhead federalists strapping the state burqa to their face. Every single day, I start a mini rebellion at the gym. I stick my snout out of my face diaper. Do what you can, man. Every state is a different country. The Constitution could be the only thing we have in common. If we don't let it deteriorate any further, America was built off of high-risk, tolerant people. You got on a boat and sailed to a new land. This does not feel like that same ethos that the Stars and Stripes were built upon. Ever-increasing taxes and laws. We have stats today. 16,000 laws are passed a year in this country. Lessening representation. This can only last so long until we see something truly American happen. Let's throw it over to a sponsor. Make sure you are checking out that Patreon page, The Hikes. We're discussing nature ad nauseum today. And uh, Harry Schwant, the memes are ever better. Krista Rose is a New York Times best-selling American author, a former clerk of the Superior Court of Maricopa County, Arizona. Born February 3rd of 1980, he went to Illinois University, graduated from Pepperdine University School of Law, Mmm, Pepperdine. Sounds like their mascot is just a rich, punchable face, some preppy kid. Should be called Prepperdine. Yep, I'll kill myself. Here's a better one. Uh, Prepperdine. It's like they teach you how to make your doomsday bunker. I had a beer before this episode, so we're doing free association. I'm trying to let it go a little bit more freely. And that's patriotic as shit. Actually, it was a Guinness Nitro cold brew. They're putting coffee and beer now. Hey. The Irish people fought off the United Kingdom for hundreds of years. I'm Northern Irish today. This guy, Krista Rose, he ran political campaigns. He was worked under the Speaker of the House, and um, who cares? I mean, what are the Speakers of the House? Bose, Sony, I'll kill myself. <laughs> um, and yeah, he wrote for the New York Times. This guy is well-educated. He's a lawyer. In 2013, he was published by Washington Post. They called him the political book of the year for the making of America's greatest president. And that was about, of course, number 45. Just kidding. It was about Obama. Washington Post also ran a headline once <laughs> that said, Leader of Youth Empowerment Movement Dies at Age 83. Guess who this obituary was for? Charles Manson, a brave youth leader. You know the uh, Super Mario's First Amendment? Freedom of Peach. How about we do another ad and get this bitch underway? Krista Rose, Founding Rivals, Chapter 1, 
final colonial days. Madison and Monroe were born within 20 miles of each other in Virginia. 1751 James Madison, 1758 Mr. Monroe. The British Parliament was trying to pass the cost of the French-British War up in Canada onto the Virginians. And just to give our non-Americans some timeline today, people first came to an America in uh, 1611. Jamestown that was, and then 1620 was the story of the Mayflower. So this is only 120 years later. Things are heating up. They're deciding we could do this thing on our own. We don't need no Brits. Madison was a sickly kid. He lived with his godparents in New Jersey to avoid the Virginia heat. He went to TCNJ. James Madison did not attend James Madison. TCNJ is now Princeton. He was one of 150 students. <laughs> the library at that time had 1,200 volumes. This guy would read himself to exhaustion. He joined a fraternal organization called the Whigs. They would just debate rival clubs. It said in the book that they had portraits of King George in the classrooms. So there were actual loyalists and anti-loyalists in classrooms back then. These are children of a revolution. In 1773, Madison's childhood mentor, who was also his tutor, he started writing to him about being at the Boston Tea Party. 1774, the next year, the British were sending forces to Massachusetts, so Madison was writing back like, yo, I want to come there. And this guy was like, finish your studies. They call the Whigs together in 1775, so it's a bunch of Virginia leaders meeting. Jefferson, Washington, the bigger names at that time, the first round founding fathers, Patrick Henry. The townsfolk rallied together, they formed militias, and they got the first ever Continental Congress together. Now, 1775, neither of our heroes today were there. That year, 800 regulars were dispensed on Boston. Massachusetts was the first colony to fall. And you know the guerrilla warfare from Bunker Hill took on from there. We're not doing the whole history of the revolution today. Never heard those numbers though, right? 800 redcoats in one wave just took over the city of Boston. Monroe was around 11 at this time learning from his father who was organizing boycotts on British goods. King George's countrymen executed his father when he was 16. This kid was a teenager, an orphan, the middle of a revolution. He's about to go apeshit. Monroe then attended William and Mary. He drilled with other students using muskets and military strategy. The Second Continental Congress was taking place during his college years, and that was absolute secrecy. Monroe was boys with Patrick Henry, who was leaking some of the gossip to him. He was spilling the tea. Monroe was intendant on being part of the next Continental Congress is making this his goal. 1776, Monroe was commissioned as a lieutenant in the 3rd Virginian Infantry, and he's an officer off the bat. They see he's got some moxie to him. Servants and slaves were the entire 3rd Virginian Infantry, so he is like a leader of outlaws. There's this story of him taking a battalion in the middle of the night, and they killed 60 redcoats on a bridge without losing a single man. That siege planning in college did him good. 1776, Madison was also an officer in the Virginian military, and he was rising the ranks really quick. He's like more behind the scenes, not leading men on uh, strikes. He's like diminutive. This guy is five foot four. It turns out when the time calls for the colony of Virginia to stand on its own, they can. So Madison is putting all these speeches together like, look at us, we could do this. Virginia is its own country. 
Madison was the best political guy in early American history. He got top of brass in record time, July 4th, 1776. What happened that day? Eh, nothing eventful. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal except for slaves, that they are endowed by their creator with giant American penises. They are endowed with certain unalienable rights, except for the aliens CNN is talking about. Among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving that just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter and abolish it, to institute a new government. People don't remember that part, the entire constitution is that we can wipe the whiteboard clean that's the experiment of america and nobody ever took the liberty to press that button in the history of this country <laughs> we're well past a reset the war is ending and monroe takes his two regiments up to long island because george washington himself invited them up there and he's giving all these public speeches Monroe is the bravest fighter in the American forces. He isn't this shaky kid who got drafted. He is a man who is leading other men who have nothing to lose. Like his regiment, remember, was slaves and people, indentured servants that were fighting for their freedom. Bro, before I die, I want to be part of a Russian prison break. A bunch of men with nothing to lose and the world to gain. For Mother Russia, I'm trying to cave in a fucking prison guard's skull with an AK-47, but that could be a good night out. The word of Monroe is spreading like wildfire. Philadelphia at this time is the second largest English-speaking city in the world, second only to London, and so the war, as we're saying, is ending. More of the generals are starting to congregate in Philadelphia. They're all just like, what the hell happened? There's no internet. Militiamen are sent to the other colonies and are saying, Hey, Virginia, you got to come help out in the north. They're still giving us hell up in Massachusetts. Everyone's like, nah, man, I'm a Virginian more than anything. And so Madison had to get involved here and was like, the Articles of Confederation say we are all equal. We signed up to be colonies together, so Virginians, get your ass up there. February 6, 1778, George Washington rolls up through Valley Forge with an army of 11,000 men. It's time for politics got to celebrate a little bit first he just won the american revolution george washington signs a decree that all the rum wine and sugar that remains be sent to all of the armies in this decree it also said that gunboats be distributed to colonies on the seaboard and that rifles be dispersed to the western front <laughs> they're trying to fend off the indians and tell people to move as far west as possible this could be the most american day in the history of the planet they handed out sugar rifles and gunboats <laughs> people are dancing through the streets through the night you beat the world's biggest empire in a war Unfortunately, the hard part is yet to come. You saw the intro for the show. <laughs> yeah, we just won the war. We did it. So we're going to have health care, right? Hey, no, you can't marry your best friend. That's sacrilegious. <laughs> There's like a 90% chance that we fail in fiery chaos and a 10% chance we become the world's greatest empire and then fail in a fiery chaos. <laughs> I'll take that action. America's Born, Chapter 2, The In-Between Days. 
seven years older, Madison represented Virginia at the Continental Congress. 1780, Philadelphia stayed at the Trist Boarding House along with all the other statesmen. There's entire books written about the Trist family. They're known for having all daughters and all of the statesmen hooked up with them. This is like the most fraternal time of these guys that were in their debate clubs and shit. They're having a midlife crisis together and creating a country printed enough money to issue legitimate currencies then said states you're on your own for the rest so they gave them those gunboats and the necessary means to defend themselves and then they were like print your own money madison immediately is freaking out and saying thomas jefferson what should i do the treasury is empty and everyone's making their own money he's freaking out things are decentralizing madison is making himself known as the federalist from the start and people were really looking for a leader and direction in the first days. So they did anything he said. He was like, we're starting to collect all the state's currency back up and we are reissuing federal currency. This is the end of all the state's bucks and greenbacks and marks. Monroe is in Richmond, Virginia at the time. And he's saying people are getting uppity. It's a two-sided issue though. Like People want to have their own money, obviously, but... The British were already 1812 and They were like pirates stealing our rum and our ships. So he's like, we just need to get this fake money out there so we could start building an army. It's kind of surprising that no other country tried to gank us, pull some like World of Warcraft move, mob us, while we're trying to recover as a country. <laughs> they knew. Like I'm saying, culture matters more. We are just a gun-toting don't mess with those fucking people over there. They are ungovernable. Shit in urinals. Become ungovernable. We might have got lucky, but uh, Mr. Madison's plan off the bat kind of got some legs under us. Legend of Benedict Arnold was growing in the streets. How this guy was a traitor. Becomes American. Tall tale. They make devil Benedict masks in the streets. And Madison makes this scheme to collect money. Like, he's the master of political campaigns. He's doing these propaganda posters. Uncle Sam, I want you. The legend of Benedict Arnold is just making him money. And I'm stalling so I could try to think of an egg joke here. Devil masks, Benedict. Deviled eggs. Eggs, Benedict. I got fucking nothing. I'm fried. <laughs> Other senators were suggesting redrawing state lines for more equal resources. And Madison said this is a terrible idea. Remember last chapter, he had to convince his army to go fight on the behalf of other states. So redrawing state lines is not going to happen. You look at a map of America, once it gets out west, all the state lines are just on longitude and latitude. Watch that show how the states are made. I will not waste your time. By 1782, states scrapped together $5,500 for the federal government. This is a one-fourth of the estimated cost to fund it for one day. <laughs> Every like year when the government does their shutdown on Christmas, we should be refunded $5,500 in taxes. Inflation, we should all get a million. <laughs> I save millions in taxes by not making that much money. Madison passed a motion ordering the superintendent of finance to tally the national debt. I thought this was funny. He just implemented this new character, the superintendent of finance. Go behind the scenes and tell us how much debt we have. This is like um, the book we read about salt. They talked about the Roman Empire. And Caesar implemented the Salinator. 
Hey, Tone, do you know this Salinator guy? He's making up a number and telling us that's how much money we owe him. Tony Soprano was at the uh, Morristown Mutiny up in 1783. They were cleaning up all this fake money that was going around between the states and the only legitimate marks they were able to bring back to the capital was $5,000. This is not going to work on long. He's going to have to get more dictatorial about the taxes. A reason those like a Richmond rebellion went down that Monroe witnessed and then the Morristown one I said, people were being told that you have to pay off the debt of the war. It's like Germany. Germany tried to fight the world twice. The world. Twice. And it was close. Both times. That's a Norm MacDonald joke. Rest in peace. Those reparations turned those people into Nazis. James Madison is proposing reparations on his own people who fought the war with their grandfather's musket. Like, there is no argument that you owe us money. This was out of my pockets. I melted down the friggin' cross on my neck to make a musket ball <laughs> and then line up and get shot on the first try. What was warfare back then? I would have joined the Indian side, guerrilla style. Madison was probably making all these, like, implementations wholeheartedly. The freaking salinator. Debt is an asset, we just learned in Anatomy of the Crash. So as a federal government, he's just trying to start putting things on the books. Hey, look at us. World America is a legitimate country. At the time, it was a continent of two and a half million people. How are you going to tax two and a half million people with no iPhone network who just overthrew an empire because of taxes? David Hollowell comes to the rescue, first save on the record, one of the founding fathers, Rhode Island statesman. He said the French are going to need our help soon. So Americans, don't we want to be a legitimate country and be able to help all of those guys who helped us during our revolution? And so Madison takes this idea and runs with it. Yo, Americans, how do you expect anybody to take us seriously if we can't even trade? George Washington issued passports to ex-servicemen to go to Paris to help fight in their war. It's not talked about a lot. They put a half-dollar tax on barrels of salt. So they did start with these minimal import taxes. And this was all begrudgingly passed by George Washington. He was the first president at the time. He realized you got to do what you got to do. But he was telling his people, like Madison, technically you're a representative and democracy is bottom up. You've got to go tell your fucking Virginians that this is what we're doing right now. It's truly like the Greek democracy city-states. From 1780 to 1783, they were able to up that $5,000 a month to $3 million a year. And this is like the bare minimum that they could be running a federal government on. That sounds very nice to me, a minarchy. And let's just take a minute to think about, like, my little fucking snark remark or whatever there sounds crazy only because the burden of truth has flipped you know in a court case who has to prove what actually happened back in the day they had the burden to prove that we would be safer with a federal government like there were marauding indians the fucking black plague on the oregon trail there was zero gun safety laws and people still didn't want a federal government back then. They felt safer alone. And you see how the world has flipped completely? I know I'm talking about 200 years ago. 
but even think about the 1910s before the income tax. I mean, there was a total different standard of what people expected. And like I'm saying, I'm 150 years late here in Colorado. <laughs> Bro, the burden of proof is on me now to prove that I don't need a state-wrapped burqa on my head. I just punched the mic. That's going to break some earlobes. I'm getting heated here. It's not something anybody takes the time of day to think about. How about you prove to me why Washington, D.C. and all those representatives are legitimate? Those fucks are just leeches sucking money off of our hard work. It's truly sad. I mean, the media framing is what I'm saying makes America not feel like America. And I'd probably get some flack for the right for that tangent there. Their biggest argument is we need a strong military to fend off other nations' deterrence. I'm saying here, <laughs> we were a country of two million colonists with no army, and nobody did shit. It's more about culture than about mandating an army. I'm picking up an AK to defend Colorado if Chinese people try to come take it. When the time comes, it's not about laws <laughs> that are in place. June 19th of 1783, there was an actual insurgency. 80 soldiers stormed the Philadelphia arsenal and surrounded Congress. <laughs> so James Madison and all of his little constituents were trapped inside of Independence Hall. And so the guys on the outside who just stormed the armory, they were getting more drunk, heckling them, come out of there, you little pussies and your wigs and your high socks. And everybody on the inside, Madison wrote, was getting drunk as well. He wrote, good thing Monroe wasn't here because <laughs> he would have burst out the door and started firing back. We're doing as little as we can here. Minarchy. You got BLM out there protesting for a bigger government. Let's go to chapter three, the tedious sessions. 1783, Monroe was chosen by two prominent Virginians to arbitrate a land dispute. This is almost better than being a priest at that time. You're being asked by two farmers to delegate their land dispute. This is like higher than a judge. People trust Monroe just based on his character. Madison permanently moved to Philly this year, 1783. It was with his slave, Billy, <laughs> who was emancipated in 1786, just flaunting his wealth around the other people who can't afford. This is like the opposite of uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It's a young black teen going to Philadelphia and losing all of his freedom. <laughs> now this is a story all about how Billy the Slave's life got turned around. Virginia delegates were saying that Monroe would be a better representative than Madison, but at the time, Madison has the connections, baby. Monroe's got to do these land disputes, keep the people happy. He tries writing letters to Washington like, yo, I'm retiring from the theater of action. I'm done with politics. George Washington was like, King George just called me the greatest man in the history of the world because I denied a third term. This is going to be your seat one day, dude. I know you don't want it, but it has to be. And George Washington, he knew it. This guy was like the original architect. He told Monroe, you're going to be after Madison, and you're going to have to reel it back in. <laughs> George Washington said, beware the two-party system, but he just fought the war. He's like, bro, just put anything in place that'll hold it for now. And we're 200 years later, and we're like, this placeholder is great, guys. I love my slavery. 
I love not being able to afford a house. This guy just gave up all the power, the best seat in the world, because he knew he was going to have to reel it back in from Madison's antics. And you know, Madison is really close with Jefferson, who followed Monroe. And then you got Adams in between, who is kind of the just the money man. And he focused on getting all that shit in order, which honestly, by the end of the book today, they never get the financials right. George Washington, again, not going to let Monroe out of this thing. He appoints him to Congress for bravery in the Battle of Brandywine, Germantown, and Monmouth. And then under Jefferson's wing, Monroe gets classed up. He takes him to, like, balls and social events. He's not some tobacco-spitting Virginian anymore. Jefferson retires in Virginia, and he grants Madison access to his Monticello library. Those OG founding fathers, Washington, Jefferson, they're like grooming these prodigies, and they did it pretty right. They gave Jefferson library to Madison, so this kid who would read himself to exhaustion now has all the Magna Carta and the legal books from the past. Like you know, you'll see the final quote from Madison we have today. This motherfucker read Leviathan. We're coming off the heels of the English Enlightenment. These ideas are well and alive in Madison. Like they call the Bill of Rights a living doctrine. It's pretty amazing. Summer of 1784, Jefferson moved to the House of Delegates to help Madison control Congress. Like people just stopped showing up. In the history, I think they said Madison was the only person who had perfect attendance in Congress, and he only ever took 15-minute breaks. And even with that leadership showing up every day with an unmotivated Congress and not even wanting to yourself, people were still flaking off. So Thomas Jefferson showed up. He had a little bit of clout, and all the other crappy statesmen start showing up. 1784, the U.S., had zero operational federal government. So they did an entire year of a government shutdown. (laughs) And this is, again, coming off 1783 with all those rebellions. Kind of needed it. And, again, they don't teach you this in U.S. American history, fifth grade. The government just turns off for years at a time. And do you notice in the winter when they do those government shutdowns? No, that could be your life, saving money every single paycheck. Monroe is warning that the Brits are violating the Treaty of Paris. So they're putting armies and troops over in Schenectady. It's a fun name. Madison is all like, I told you so. That's why we collected the money before, because the British are going to start pulling this cheeky shit again. And the people were like, we'll just have our militias take care of it. And Monroe had to step in and be like, nah, it's not what countrymen do we have uniforms now take some pride in it madison didn't even listen to monroe too he's like we'll deal with it when it gets to the proper colonies not up in bumblefuck new york and potential canada if it comes to dc and they try to burn down the white house which they will then we'll deal with it (laughs) then i don't know man this is what our country is also about not listening to people with impeccable track records and just listening to the news time after lie after time. Our country has to have a Fox and a CNN. You might be being lied to either way. Doesn't matter because your team wins the game every single night. (laughs) You get to see Don Lemon slam the R's or Tucker slam the D's. Gotta listen to the track record that you want to. Monroe was suggesting to these people that just want to protect their land, we can protect all of our land together. Everyone's in the same boat as long as it's fighting off monarchs. It's now the autumn of 1784, and James Madison and Monroe have still never met. 
They both know each other, obviously, from the word, and they were sending letters to each other. However, they met at a Constitutional Society meeting. They were chummy at first. They took opposite sides in the debate. However, we're still friendly, like a debate club. This does not exist. The Internet has ruined discourse forever. You can't have a discussion with someone. You have to get emotional and tell them how you could never be their friend. These two guys are the exact opposite of the political spectrum. They're hitting it off. The author here, Krista Rose, was making a uh, really good point. Like, unless we have a shared goal, we will never get anywhere. So I said these guys are opposite sides of this political spectrum. They still wanted to start a country together. And I started the show saying that uh, Washington won't trade with Texas. Do we still have a shared goal? These people... (laughs) Let's just do the vaccine thing. Some people want to go back to normal some people remember what 2019 was like and want to try to move back towards that and it seems like or at least the astroturfed internet makes i know people like this people want to live in an abnormal world they liked that they never had to leave their apartment again and can do everything through their grubby computer i mean i'm happy that the option's there now but It's the aggression principle at this point. You can't force that shit lifestyle on me as well. Like, they, these guys, every five years they had a Continental Congress. In 200 years we haven't had a Constitutional. We haven't set a goal in 200 years. It's why we're the fat and lazy country. (laughs) We're not even... I don't know. There's no space race anything we're trying. It's like, how quick can we cuck ourselves with censorship? That's the race now. Who wants to be a part of this? If a blue state wants to hate a red state, how are you going to move towards a more perfect union and draw this backwards now? Federalist versus anti-federalist will never work because one motive is nationalism and one motive is statism. It's like your wife wanting an open relationship and you want to be a good Christian. Like It's just two fundamental different people. Um, My stupid ass like fucking 25 year old view of the world is still developing because i've had dumber theories in the past there are dumb people and there are crazy people there's no such thing as a normal person obviously there's just spectrums what we're going with here now is that people are either totalitarianistic in nature or self-governing there almost isn't an in-between a centrist doesn't really exist do you believe in mandates or not Should men be able to go on dates or not? You see what I'm saying? It all comes down to that force principle I just brought up. Statism versus not statism. The memes will explain it better than any man ever can. You put a gun to somebody else's head and say, okay, now vote. Should you give me 10 or 30% in welfare? How about neither? Well, no, you're part of the state now. Madison and Monroe have these constitutional debates night after night after night now that they just met. (laughs) At least during that time, we knew that Monroe could have shot Madison for trying to stick a needle in him. I'm saying this Overton window, this burden of truth, it changes so deep over time that people might not even be able to comprehend these constitutional debates today. I'm just getting mad, but it makes for better content. (laughs) Pretty good stuff here. Tedious Sessions was the name of the chapter. Ended on a story from 1788. Monroe and Madison were receiving respective marble statues made in Virginia. 
these guys are like being treated as gods. At least the Virginians back then saw that both sides of the spectrum was being represented. Monroe takes time out of the whole political scene, goes out to the Western Front, and he gets this job like telling curious Virginians where to travel out west from. He's a travel agent. 1785, Monroe is meeting with like the westernmost missionaries, and he's getting them to agree to kick some money back to the state. Again, this is unheard of, separation of church and state. We just got rid of the whole Presbyterian English church. <laughs> and somehow Monroe sweet-talked to these country folk into giving them a cut of the dough. It's a truly a wild time here. The government turned off for a year, 1784, 1785. They turned off separation of church and state. <laughs> kind of shows you that old Bill Hicks bit. We don't have rights. We have privileges. <laughs> Even in the early years, they would just whoop, forget about that one for a minute. I mentioned once on the show about getting mixed nonfiction incorporated. I think an easier route would be <laughs> making this show a religion just so that I know if we make any profit, it's not going to be going towards hellfire missiles coming down on Syrian kids. Madison is wearing thin on all these Episcopalian ministers with all these edicts, and Monroe has to go tell them, look, man, if you don't want to be British, just give us a couple bucks. It works for a long time. Kind of sad. Remember that uh, Chris Hedges book, America the Farewell Tour? He said, we can only move sideways and backwards he stole that from mark twain this is a fundamental unconstitutionality in governments they will just suspend the laws what's that quote it goes if a law can be abridged in a time of emergency government will create emergencies to abridge laws think about it as long as <laughs> it all it takes is a virus to take away every right you've ever had get ready for the next variant chris hedges the Patriot Act, the Patriot Act Two, the Trace Act, record high spending, like not even the R's and the D's are trying to bring down the spending anymore. We just did a whole edition on that. It's just an unconstitutional way to operate, and that has become the endeavor or like the modus operandi of the government. It is the unconstitutional reality that we live in. <laughs> All of the laws are abridged. 1785, Madison and Monroe had a public debate agreeing on the statute of religious freedom. And they had to concede that these taxes are going to stop once we get a functioning army and federal government set up. Madison said, if importance were to be measured by the list of the laws which have passed, all preceding legislative merit would be eclipsed. No session has less grounds for applause. It's a little bit too much old English to make sense of. He's saying this will never happen again. Madison has sat through more debates and legislation, maybe than any human in history. He is saying a successful deliberation creates brief laws that last a long time. This religious thing is going to be over before you know it. I promise we just need a country. You don't know if you should trust this guy. It sounds like every tyrant in history ever. I just need the power for this one law. <laughs> more laws do not mean more productivity. Even Madison, the statesman, is admitting that. He's like, I'm not making this a 10-tier system where the taxpayer has to pay when he gets the wafer of Christ and then pay when he drinks the blood of God. You know, he's just saying it's a one-time tax. 
I cannot be more transparent. We're doing as little as we can. And this was more of a discussion than a debate between those two. They didn't pull the audience at the end to see who won. Very productive time. Like we said, they had a common goal and were able to move towards it. Compromise, what's that Ben Franklin quote? Democracy is coming to the table. Both people have to pull their chair in. Well, why don't you just eat out instead? Democracy. Think back to like the classroom. It's easy for your teacher to make a list of one million classroom rules. It's hard for the principal to come up with one golden rule that's more memorable. This is a lost thing in American culture. Laws should be few and necessary. Like, no joke, the opposite of Congress is progress. <laughs> so hack, but making more laws is not productivity. It sounds like it is because the books are getting bigger. It's the skill of writing. I'm starting to learn the skill of writing jokes, too, is brevity. A perfect joke is brief irony. A perfect law should speak to timeless morals. I trashed uh, Moses in the beginning. He was kind of right. Don't murder. Don't steal. <laughs> Ten laws, that's all we need, and then you could have society forever. We have a great fact here. GovTrack.us. Anybody could look it up. Over 16,000 federal legislations are made per year. 16,000 laws a year. Desire to go feral intensifies. <laughs> Shit is. Like, think about Joe Biden. The guy passed 40 executive orders. That is unconstitutional. Think about Obama. He invaded seven countries without asking Congress. You have to get the approval of Senate. Nobody cares. It's totally just going against the laws that are set up. Why do we even pretend it's a fucking democracy? Biden will fire you from your job. He said he's getting impatient, acting like a pimp. Well, I think that was a bluff. We'll see. He's kind of like nodding to all the employers. Hey, take it upon yourself to fire all the swine, the plague rats. <laughs> so fucking dumb. My 400-pound boss is telling me that I would be healthier if I took the vaccination. And this fucking asshole. You know, we, we could take our masks off if you actually got a shot. That's not the deal, guy. What the fuck happened to my body, my choice? I'm not going to do this whole... I got a bit about it. But what the fuck is this argument? So just because I need money, Joe Biden could put a gun to everybody's head. America, get your shit together. Wake up! I'm just shaking somebody by the shoulders. Look at Australia. They have... All of the construction workers, they're done, bro. The working man is out in the streets. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. I said something truly American is on the horizon. These guys felt it. Madison and Monroe, they were college-aged revolutionaries. Whew, it's around the corner, baby. <laughs> Just imagine, people, if the Cathedral of Governors, the media... They just promised us a return date, like the boss. We're over 500 days into two weeks to flatten the curve. I will never let you touch a vein of mine until we see you fulfill one promise. What happened to the stimuli package? These people, your track record is garbage. This is our culture. Trust the worst meerkat. Fucking nature of fear. Slippery slope. That was a big theme of the everything I do. It's comedy. You know, it's not a fallible argument structure. 
that if you give the government an inch, they want to fuck you in the ass. It is an actual fact of history. Madison is saying, <laughs> after I'm out of office, you guys got to return all this shit back to the minimal state necessary. Madison was like, damn. Madison is like one of the most realistic statists in history. He promised a down payment on one and a half uh, cents per acre for expanding churches. So on the heels of this debate, Madison was like, guess what, everybody? After the war, after we get this fucking 1812 type of shit over with, I'm giving you all a refinance on your land. And <laughs> it comes out later in the book. We won't do that whole plot. He has to send Monroe back out to be like, yeah, nobody's getting that penny and a half per acre. And I mean, again, just don't take the government deal. It's always a uh, fucking bullshit. What's going to happen this year? Like, we've been calling shots in terms of market crashes. The Moas. I know we have some Wall Street bros listening. <laughs> and I want to not explain it to you so I could just keep saying the Moas. We try to get Moas out here, fam. The mother of all short squeezes. Amongst those 16,000 laws being passed, more subsidies and trade regulations are creating this squeeze. <laughs> I'm saying our crash is coming soon, just like the Chinese real estate bubble is popping. Most of the late 80s, 1780s, that is, Monroe was practicing law because <laughs> he's like, yo, Madison, I see you pulling all this sneaky shit over with the country folk. And I don't know how to combat you in terms of legality. So I got to start picking up the legal books too. <laughs> Madison is such a sneaky politician that Monroe had no other choice. Traveling the Mississippi, he is reading all of Jefferson's library. Monroe was one of the first to um, implement a native space. <laughs> he was like... <laughs> Yeah, this is the New World Manifest Destiny. We're going to give them at least a little bit of land to do their own thing. And Madison, that was a constant debate between them. No, this is the white man's land now. I'm just thinking about Rocky Mountain National Park, and this has been some of the most unconstitutional shit I've witnessed over the past two years. The occupancy is at an all-time low. And that's a good thing, right? Because of the novel coronavirus. They set up this entire fucking time slot system. So now rich people preserve all of the time slots three months in advance. You can't pay in cash. I made the mistake of driving up to Estes Park. And they tell you, you know, we're actually booked up for the day. Nature is full. We're going to have to ask you to wait on the reserve list on our website I'm like, can you pull that up for me? They go, we don't have any Wi-Fi here. Yeah, we're in the middle of nature on the Continental Divide. <laughs> I didn't think there was a satellite above. And so I said, can I pay you cash? And they go, we don't accept cash. It's a vector of disease. <laughs> they did say that. You know, this is fucking gamed out, man. I'm pissed. Me and the Blackfoot, we are going to siege Rocky Mountain National. And that's all satire, of course, even though we bought the AKs. All these laws <laughs> have dropped occupancy. I did the math. Only 2,000 people a day can go into this national park that the people are already paying for through taxes. There is 250,000 acres alone at Rocky Mountain National Park. So if we do a little crunching here 
it's not six feet of space for each person. Everybody has 10 acres to get away from <laughs> on the news tomorrow. They're going to say every citizen needs 10 acres of distance to not catch this disease. I'm going to get too heated. I got to try to shift off this topic. America is founded on manifest destiny. That is what Madison was saying. We will take what we want from the natives. First come, first serve. If I'm at the trailhead before you with a wad of cash, that's my trail this morning. Suck my dick, $20 time spot. This is not an open mic. This is nature, bitch. <laughs> like on the hikes on the Patreon, if you're following along. At some of these trailheads, there are just drop boxes. So they're like, hey, 10 bucks to hike this trail. We need to pay somebody to try to clean up the litter from the scumbags. Please donate. That's how it should be. It's not this fucking reserve system for people that are out of state that have never even thought of going to the park. The American wilderness <laughs> needs a prayer. It needs fucking this Monroe, a nature lawyer. That was the name of the chapter, A Prayer for America. They ended talking about how the South marched up to Annapolis. And they were like, hey, Madison, why are our churches being taxed? You got some splaining to do. Climactic end to this chapter. The Southern ministers tried to, like, crucify him. They bought uh, a racist. They burnt a cross on his front yard. And this smooth-talking Madison won some respect back from me kept it under control he turned a pitchforked mob a lynch mob on him what kind of fucking crowd work does this guy have <laughs> these people all these ministers and people left feeling represented madison was on the top of washington list for potential future presidents after this prayer for america pretty cool chapter there madison you win this round chapter six Chapter 5, Great Expectations. You know, some people order their eggs benedict. Some people order their eggs deviled. I like my eggs pectation. <laughs> There's your damn egg joke. Eggs pectation. After the failure of Annapolis, everybody was spreading word that, hey, we could probably try to take our states back from these statesmen. The federal government was losing support. Got a quote, every reflecting man became more alarmed daily by the situation. May 25th, 1787. I've been doing that all day. 1787. William Randolph was badgering Madison about common defense laws for general welfare. Independent militias were investing in their own cannons. Madison, <laughs> he's not a fan of the Second Amendment. But he's realizing, okay, I have to arm these people, otherwise they're going to arm themselves. Virginia plan finally passed, that was the big thing in this chapter, is gives more liberty to individual states. They get representation based on their number of inhabitants. Notice it is the number of inhabitants, not citizens. They are counting slaves, they're counting Indians. Every state is lying to each other. DeRose said they called a lot of rebellions by passing this, um, the Virginia plan. You know, this is the three-fifths compromise thing. I just said they're counting slaves and just fudging the numbers on how big their state is so they get more pull. The states take it upon themselves to start originating laws as well. There was a cool side story about Chester County Prison in New York. 
they were using turncoat prisoners of war, some Native Americans, and some other like indentured servants for prison labor. Jail, archaic as fuck. Even kings weren't making people tow the fields. That's what the plebes are for. You make them do the work. So Madison was like, <laughs> we're going to try to have some sort of reformatory prison system. Um, I can't talk. Recidivism is the highest in America where our jails look like a warehouse. And then you go over to Denmark, it looks like a college. The people are in and out. Madison knows he can't do anything about New York doing this crazy Chester County slavehood. He tries to change the culture there. He's like, you know, we're in the north here. We're kind of not doing slave labor. I'm working on this thing called the 13th Amendment, and I'm just saying we're going to pass it in a couple of years, and you're going to owe us a lot of money. So that Chester County clerk tucked his tail between his legs and believed in the 13th Amendment, which, you know, doesn't come around until after the Civil War. From the 1800s to the 1850s, both sides, the feds and the anti-feds, were talking over each other's head. Like they say, the Civil War was about slavery. It's about states' rights versus federal rights. What I tried to say before, the authoritarian versus the libertarian. We're acting pre-Civil War now. <laughs> like I'm saying, this shit is just teetering on the edge. It's not until we can come into a agreed-upon goal, which for a little while was a 13th Amendment, and it's not going to materialize until then. That marriage example was really good. You're never going to try to fix a marriage who your wife is banging the marriage counselor and just trying to get alimony. That kind of sounds like <laughs> inviting a bunch of immigrants in who don't need IDs and then get to decide where all of our taxes go. The reason things like this Chester County happened was right at the start there was no Supreme Court. And Supreme Court is responsible for determining culture. They're responsible for the gun laws and the abortion laws. How come Ruth Bader Ginsburg is treated as a saint? You know, that shit is creepy. It is culture that the Supreme Court does. And so Madison wasn't able to instill in that guy's mind, hey, we just don't do that up here in the North. Stop with the slavery. He had to extort him off of it. Biggest state at the time was Virginia. They had an 800,000-person population. So they think they should have the biggest say. It's all the classic stuff you kind of heard at this point. Got that Franklin quote on democracy. Both sides got to pull up. Otherwise, you are not a similar species. One side prefers laws over morals. One side prefers morals over laws. It's like a fundamental difference, man. You can't inflict morals on people, but you can inflict laws on people. So let's just make them part of our state. It's like if there were two cults out in the woods, <laughs> or no, the better example I've done on the show were a bunch of monkeys on an island and we just whittled a bunch of spears. Okay, now everybody has a spear. We're all equal again. How am I going to take over this peninsula? Well, first, I'm going to create a system of representatives and electives to get everybody thinking they're being heard. Most important word to end the chapter on he said America is the longest running experiment in democracy. And these are parallel happenings with all of history. Bureaucracies grow and grow and grow, even if they are democratic and all Greek and perfect. The experiment has concluded. Dictators going to dictate. <laughs> like I said, to fix this, we would need either an entire reset of minimal laws and checks and balances on representatives 
or an extensive process of constitutional debates. Let's go to chapter 6, our second to last, The Race for Ninth. Best chapter. Summer passes. It is September of 1787. The boys are condensing the Virginia Plan, the Three-Fifths Compromise, Federalist Papers, the Articles of Confederation. Everything went over today. They are cramming down into a little remix I like to call the Constitution. I pulled up to the White House, 7 a.m., Billy the Slave, I said, tell you later. You'd think that we would rejoice now that we have a Constitution here. (laughs) The Americans got their little pamphlets out in the mail. They're huddled around town hall. The first day the Constitution was passed out, remember how we started the story? One guy pipes up in the town square. He goes, does this shit say direct taxation? What does that mean? The British government taxed our goods. That's a sales tax. They're going to take our money out of our paycheck. These guys were freaking out. George Mason previously said, we should probably put the Bill of Rights in the front of the Constitution so that people see what's in it for them. (laughs) Like, for the un-Americans, we have a decent amount that listen. The Constitution enumerates everything the government is responsible for doing so these guys just pick it up and they're like the judicial branch is responsible for telling you your laws the legislative branch they're like where are our rights bitch (laughs) george mason true patriot he knows you got to make that sale up front even after george washington we started the story about him revealing the constitution (laughs) there were rebellions the day after the Battle of Shockhu Hill, the Constitutional Congress, <laughs> they were already together. They're like, nobody go home yet. Our work is not done. We are doing a ratification convention. Mason proposed a clause that would have unlimited debate on the floor. So they will go over the Constitution again, word by word. So that first copy, you know, it didn't go out to everybody, every colony. It was just outside of the state's house to see how people would react. And they immediately hiked over to Shockhu Hill in Virginia. This took a couple years in itself to argue over the semantics of the Constitution. We, the people of the Commonwealth. We, the people of the Republic. Um, <laughs> we, duh, people. We, the sheeple of the steeple in the house and the people of the states. Shut up, Hamilton. I should have done more of those jokes this episode. <laughs> Hamilton the Musical filibustering begins uh they delay their votes everybody's fucking growing old actual white hair william randolph saves the day again he's convincing people that virginia means well we know they're gonna have the most pull with this three-fifths compromise and all that all we need is nine states to ratify the constitution here and that's why this is called the battle for ninth it was always eight nine monroe madison just shooting the shit on the floor people falling asleep trying to convince barely caring people about the future of the country big break when madison made a speech about voting based on merit he's like i want you to just rationally investigate my system of ideas democracy even since greece was a popularity contest so this was a big thing he actually got through to some people vote on what you believe in not just what you think everyone else is doing. This is when we get my favorite quote from Madison, maybe one of my favorite quotes from the year. 
Since the general civilization of mankind, I believe there are more instances of the abridgment of freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachments of those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. Madison, the statist, saying, I believe there are more instances of silent takeovers than sudden power breaches by the state. These people will take and take and take definitely read some thomas hobbes here he was a federalist and he knew not to trust the state that can exist you can be vaccinated and be scared of the disease i'm not saying it doesn't exist you can be scared but you can also not believe other people have to do what you did you can be a federalist and not trust the media has mk ultra half the country into having a fundamentally un-American mindset. It's an irrational stance as well. We are beyond fucked until people who know the truth are willing to stand on that side of the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like, what good are your morals if you believe something do the opposite? This isn't democracy. This is hypocrisy. Madison, his biggest flaw is knowing the laws he passed were extra but he did it anyway yo he's the first republican <laughs> all of them are we need to minimize the state except for the military and you know that trump's in office we can spend more now because i'm in power the state can be as big as you want when you wield it randolph said to madison does it concern you that your tactic is to adopt and then to amend and madison is like no i just want to get this thing passed <laughs> He's building something that he knows isn't going to last. Like, he says, I designed the document to keep future men in check. That's only if future dictators don't change the thing. <laughs> like, Joe Biden, he can make those executive orders. It doesn't matter when future people could just change it as well without the whole system. Something I realized this year, there is not one Hitler. It sounds crazy. Because, you know, Hitler was such a bad dude and you saw how mad he got when he was on meth. It's not that there are these little authoritarians. <laughs> there are little dictators out there. 400-pound boss. Still going back and forth. They need those nine states' approval to be a country. Monroe finally gives his biggest speech. He says, this is never going to pass until we remove the power to tax individuals directly. We won't see that happen again until 1914. It's another one of these friggin' burden of truth things. Where are you coming at it from? Do you think that we should just take from everybody who works, or you should be able to vote with your dollar a sales tax, how it was through most of history? They just take a little bit to fund the government off of what you decide to buy. Monroe was able to get this switched back in the actual Constitution. The first powers enumerating where taxes could be gone. Also says all laws passed must be necessary and proper. So we really got to thank Monroe for this biblical ass statement. Laws cannot be unscientific. Please show me the fucking study that proved that masks stop viruses, which is smaller than a nanometer. Holy God almighty. Europeans, Jeffersonians, they're obsessed with the European purification of morals. I've been doing this too much on the show, but as long as we're moving away from the Stone Age, it's progress. Even if we're moving towards enslavement, 
Monroe, we can actually trust more than these European philosophers because he went and lived with the Indians. I don't think Europeans knew what a feral man was. Monroe stood for what he believed in. He changed his opinion in his old age, but like in the early book, he said to Madison, any country is better than no country. And Madison at the end here is like, what, you're not going to vote for us? Remember the old days? Any country is better than no? And Monroe's like, no. I spend so much time on the Western Front with these Indians. The current monetary system is stifling growth on the Western Front. That's what he dropped in this final meeting. He's like, even your fancy monetary system isn't benefiting these people. They're happier without the government and financially better at that. Whole lot of shady promises Madison made so that Monroe didn't trust him at the end. And the United States is a little bit more patriotic for that. Monroe, like our churches would have been taxed, all this type of shit, if we didn't have these type of characters. And it doesn't sound like there's many more. Monroe truly was someone we got to smoke one for tonight. I didn't know the Constitution was begrudgingly passed like this. You think it's a fireworks show, everybody's excited. It's kicked off 60 years of fighting before a civil war, and we haven't stopped fighting since. <laughs> The experiment lives on in these free state projects that exist down in, like, New Mexico and up in New Hampshire. Hey, man, are we really doing the experiment anymore? And this last chapter was called The First President. It's just about how um, George Washington is, like, showered with love after they see him leave office. People have hope again when they see there's a good leader with morals. I'm not going to do this last chapter. We're going long today anyway. Some cool things that happened in it. Goochland, Virginia had a <laughs> rebellion. I love that name. Goochland, home of a thousand rowdy anarchists. Monroe had to go there and calm everybody down. Be like, things are about to get better. More of the hope. What do they call that now? Um, hopium. <laughs> that shit's hilarious. You know, the Green New Deal utopia is right around the corner. Things are getting better. It's all hopium. <laughs> I like that and uh, member berries they try to tell you remember when things were like this well it's going to be better like that we're going to make America great again one side is hopium one side is member berries <laughs> Madison is uh, the fourth he takes place after Jefferson Jefferson held Madison as the highest debater and speaker he had ever seen he was the master debater Madison ordered the House to work in three departments, Foreign Affairs, Treasury, and then some other one. He like set the standard for state governments as well, and he had humility as a leader. Remember, this guy was 5'4". He took the brunt. You know how many people were talking behind this little statist's back? He got the job done. These guys are the dream team. You need the straight man to work the system and the rebel who can integrate the people's grievances. While one man's principles were obviously more correct, <laughs> both Madison and Monroe were pure moralists in their own sense. So you got to respect that. They didn't bend the knee for anything, except for Madison a little bit. <laughs> Another fucking banger of a quote from Madison. Here he goes, I do not expect any perfection on this side of the grave in the works of man. Again, he might not be as pure because he set up a state that he knew would fail. But at least he's saying, hey, <laughs> all humans fail. That's what we do. 
So let's just keep giving them all the power instead of trying to try something new. That's the Nick take at the end. But definitely re-listen to those quotes. Don't expect any perfection on this side of the globe. And um, the civility of mankind in more instances is a gradual silent encroachment of power than a sudden usurpation. Let's pour one out for this well-read man, Mr. Madison, and smoke a fat peace pipe tonight for James Monroe. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Founding Rivals. I had a good time here, and I hope you did as well. Next week on the show, we are reading. It's our December-themed edition, baby. Get that drum roll going. Alan Watts, The Way of Zen. This is all about just de-stressing your mind, man. <laughs> I'll come up with a new take for it because we did like the Lao Tzu book this year. And pardon me, we had a, I just burped. We had, There is that beer finally coming up at the end. <laughs> I had a request for the art of war. So I think in January we're going to have that. That's going to be it for the Eastern philosophy for a little while. Alan Watts, let's see what you got. Check out one of his lectures. Make sure you check out our edition next week. My name is Nick Munez. Patreon.com slash niche. Harry Schwant on Instagram. Love you, the listener. I'll see you guys in seven short days. Later. <laughs>